Let's pray together. Oh, Father, we thank you for the gift of your Son, Jesus. Thank you for the gift of your Holy Spirit present with us now, dwelling in us, moving in this place. And we thank you for your word. Please open your word to us and open us to your word. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Well, good morning once again, everyone. So glad you're here. Please turn in your Bibles, if you have one with you or in front of you, to Paul's letter to the Philippians. We will be looking at chapter 2, verses 5 through 11, those verses that Gail read to us just a few minutes ago. And while you're turning there, let me remind all of us of just a few things that are all converging today, happening today on this one day together. The first thing that's happening is, today is Stewardship Sunday. You will have heard us talk about this now for three weeks. It's the one Sunday out of the year when we ask the members of our church, the members of our church family to fill out the pledge cards that are in your pews. And so in just a little while after this message, in about 75 minutes or so, um, you'll be invited to come forward and I don't know why you're laughing. Um, put them in a basket as, a, as an outward sign of what God is uh, doing inwardly in our hearts when it comes to our giving. The second thing that's happening today is uh, that it's the, almost the intermission point of our Philippians sermon series. We've been in this book now since October 2nd, and uh, we're in it today and then taking a break for the seasons of Advent and Christmas. So next week and all four Sundays of Advent will be in the book of Isaiah. And the third thing that's happening is that this is Christ the King Sunday. It's the end of the church year, the end of the church calendar before we start a new church year next Sunday with the first Sunday of Advent. And so today we celebrate that everything that we've been doing for the last year has been leading up to this moment. Every prayer we've prayed, every song we've sung, every sermon that's been preached has been to lead us to Christ our King. And so we celebrate that Jesus Christ is King this morning. But when you think about it, every Sunday is Christ the King Sunday, isn't it? And every Monday is Christ the King Monday. And every Tuesday is Christ the King Tuesday. And on and on and on. Every day of every week, every day of every year is forever Christ the King Day because Jesus reigns as King forever. We'll sing this hymn at the end of our service saying, His kingdom cannot fail. He rules over earth and heaven So Jesus isn't any more king today than he was yesterday. He's not any more king this Sunday than he'll be next Sunday. But on this day, we just say a louder amen. And we just add another exclamation mark to what we know is true. And so then I think it's good and helpful and appropriate that on this day, Christ the King Sunday and Stewardship Sunday, we turn to this next section of the book of Philippians And we're invited once again to see just how wonderful, just how glorious, just how victorious our King Jesus really is. Seven verses this morning, chapter two, verses five through 11, and these seven verses wonderfully point us to Jesus. Interestingly, these verses were either an early Christian hymn that Paul decided to just quote at this moment in his letter, Or Paul just happened to be so moved in his spirit, so stirred in his soul, even there in a prison cell, that as he's writing this letter, he just bursts into a song. I kind of hope it's that. I kind of hope that Paul's in his prison cell writing a letter to the church. It's very uh, put together and it's for the church. And then he just can't contain himself anymore. He's just so caught up in how wonderful and glorious Jesus is that he bursts into a song. 
So whether he quoted an existing hymn or just wrote a new one on the spot, it doesn't really matter. What really matters is that this is an invitation, once again, to us to first things first. We go deeper today into the good news of the gospel, which is the good news of Jesus Christ himself, which is to always be at the center, the center of our lives, the center of our church, the center of our love, the center of our affection, and the center of our minds for thinking, which is why verse 5 addresses us in this way. Paul writes, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. And then Paul bursts into praise. And he says, this is Jesus. This is Jesus. And he's full of grace. And he's full of glory. See both those things this morning. Verses 6 through 8 point us to his grace. His grace. Paul tells of Christ Jesus, verse 6, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself. By taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. What grace. What grace. What grace that Jesus, Jesus fully God, from before all of time, as God, would not exploit his being God and would not hold on to his form of being God in such a way that would keep him distant from us, in such a way that would uh, keep him high and lofty away from us or removed from us, even though it was our sin and our rebellion that removed us from him. But Jesus, though he was in the form of God, emptied himself. What grace that Jesus would empty himself And he would empty himself not by subtracting his form of being God, not by subtracting his godness, but by assuming the form of man. Look at what Paul says, how Paul says it. He says that Jesus emptied himself, how? By taking the form of a servant. He emptied himself by being born in the likeness of men. So from before all of time, Jesus was and still is fully God, and yet in love he became and still is fully man. Fully God, fully man, full of grace. Jesus is not 50% God, 50% man. He's also not 100% God, but kind of looks like man as a trick. He's also not 100% man, but sort of trying to attain Godship throughout his life. Paul says, the Bible teaches that Jesus is fully God, fully man. This is mind-blowing. It's a mystery, but it's true. Theologians have a term for this. It's called the hypostatic union. And there's no better way to explain this than to quote a Christmas carol. And it says this. You'll know these words. How God is fully, fully God and yet fully man. Veiled in flesh. You know this? The Godhead see. Hail the incarnate deity, pleased as man with men to dwell. What's the next part? Jesus our Emmanuel. Mild he lays his glory by, born that man no more may die. Born to raise the sons of earth 
born to give them second birth. So when you hear that song in the produce aisle next week, you can say, hey, that's the hypostatic union. Put that in. Fully God, fully man. What grace that Jesus would not exploit his glory as God, but would empty himself and veil himself in flesh, as the Christmas carol says. And what grace that he would do all of this willingly, lovingly, sacrificially, and obediently, Paul says, all the way to death on a cross. Any king can enjoy the perks of his throne. Any king can enjoy the the trappings of his majesty, the gold, the riches, the crown. Only Jesus steps down from his throne, submits himself to his father's will. He endures being spat upon and mocked and cursed and beaten. He offers himself as a substitute for sinners, sinners who all deserve the cross, And allows himself, Jesus allows himself to suffer the cruelest, most humiliating, most excruciating form of execution known to man. What grace that Jesus would step down from the chambers of the throne room of heaven to a cross on Golgotha. But this is our Jesus. He's a Jesus who came down. And he's a Jesus who still comes down to you. In your pain, in your suffering, in your sadness, in your loneliness, he's a king who still comes down. And Jesus extends his kingly hand to you, and it's a hand with wounds in it. Wounds that bore your suffering, wounds that bore your sin, and wounds that tell of his forever love. What grace, amen? Some of you are going to have a happy Thanksgiving this Thursday, and praise God for that. And kids, I hope you eat your Brussels sprouts if your mom tells you to. (laughs) But some of you are not going to have happy Thanksgivings this Thursday. Maybe they'll be marked by loss or brokenness or dysfunction or loneliness, family strife. Find real comfort today. And this coming Thursday on Thanksgiving, in the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. He's a king who came down, he's a king who still comes down, and he's a king who seems to have quite an affinity for broken people. What grace we see in Jesus, and oh, what glory, what glory. Look with me at verses 9 through 11. Paul writes, therefore God has highly exalted Jesus and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord of the glory of God the Father. What glory that Jesus is not only exalted by virtue of his perfect life and atoning death and victorious resurrection, but that, Paul writes, he's, Highly exalted. Another way to say that is he's he's incredibly exalted. He's super exalted. He's exalted in such a way there is no further exaltation above his exaltation. Highly exalted. Now, I don't know if there's any soccer fans in the room this morning by any chance. Raise your hand if you're a soccer fan. You may have heard 
that there's something starting today called the World Cup. You may have heard of this. I'm not sure if you've heard of this. Last for the next month or so. And at the end of the World Cup, one team, one country will be crowned the world champion. Quite a title, right? Quite a lofty, exalted title. But a fleeting title. Because four years later, guess what? They'll have to compete again for the title of world champion. What glory that Jesus has been not only exalted by God, but has been highly exalted by God. So this means not only there is no higher glory, but also his exaltation never expires. It's not a fleeting title. We sing a song often that says this. It says, you have no rival. You have no equal. Now and forever, God, you reign. Yours is the kingdom. Yours is the glory. Yours is the name above all names. And the name that Jesus has been given, the name that Paul references here in verse 9, if you have it in front of you, the name that Paul's referencing here is Lord Lord is his name. And this means so much more than what you and I might think of when we think of names. Because whatever name you have, someone else in the world also has. Names are shareable. Uh, This hits close to home for me because I happen to share my name with a godfather. Not just any godfather, but the godfather. (laughs) The godfather of soul. James Brown. That's my name. I share my name. Jesus doesn't share his name. And what glory that the name that Jesus has been given, the name Lord, actually means that he is that name. Not only does Jesus have the name of Lord, but Jesus is the name. Jesus is Lord. Paul is saying something earth-shattering here. He's saying something politics-shattering, something history-shattering. He's saying, you can say Caesar is Lord all you want, but Caesar is like a little boy playing dress-up, pretending he's a fireman. Jesus isn't playing dress-up. Jesus is Lord. And the name that Jesus has given, Lord, is actually the divine name we see in the Old Testament of Yahweh, all caps. That's the name. Jesus has been given. Now what glory that because of that, because he is Lord, every knee will bow before him in every place. Paul says this in verse 10, that every knee will bow before him, quote, in heaven and on earth and under the earth. Now it would be easy for us to think sometimes that everything around us is out of control. Read the news if you're brave. Check Twitter if it hasn't crashed. (laughs) Things seem out of control. And often it's a bit scary when we consider not only what's happening, but the unknowns of what might happen. There are an awful lot of things we don't know about what might happen. But there is one thing we do know. And what's going to happen someday soon is that Every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. This will happen. And what glory 
that Jesus has been highly exalted. He's been given the name above all names, and he will be bowed before by every knee and confessed as Lord by every tongue. We can be absolutely certain of this, regardless of how out of control things might seem around us. And we can be sure that this will happen, not because Christians will make it happen by our own might or by our own political influence or by our own efforts. No, we can be sure this will happen because God has sworn that it will happen. And I dare any of us to say that God won't do what he swears he will do. And here's when he swore it, Isaiah 45, 23. This is God talking. God says, by myself I have sworn. From my mouth has gone out in righteousness a word that shall not return. Quote, to me every knee will bow, every tongue shall swear allegiance. One of my top five favorite hymns of all time is a Charles Wesley hymn that we sing in Advent called, Lo, He Comes with Clouds Descending. We'll sing it in a few weeks, and it's a doozy. It's a doozy. It's what I call a beast of a hymn. But listen to these words. Verse 2 says this. Every eye shall now behold him, robed in dreadful majesty. Those who set at naught and sold him, pierced and nailed him to the tree, deeply wailing, deeply wailing. Deeply wailing shall the true Messiah see. And then the fourth verse comes. And if there was ever a verse in the history of church music that warranted a, a modulation and choirs and trumpets and brass and a Joe Cannell drum solo and pyrotechnics, it's this verse. Yea, amen, let all adore thee, high on thine eternal throne, Savior, Take the power and glory. Claim the kingdom for thine own. Alleluia, alleluia, alleluia. Thou shalt reign and thou alone. What glory, what majesty, amen? What honor, power and praise and thanksgiving belong to our God forever and ever and ever, amen? Psalm 24 says, lift up your heads, O you gates. Be lifted up, O ancient doors, that the king of glory may come in. Who is this king of glory? The Lord, strong and mighty. The Lord, mighty in battle. The Lord of hosts. He is the king of glory. So we say a louder amen today. We add another exclamation mark today to what we know is true. This is our Jesus. He's full of grace. He's full of glory. This is our story. This is our song. And this is why we exist as a church. To celebrate and proclaim the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it's under this banner. And it's under his kingship. And it's empowered by his grace. And it's all for his glory that I call us to a new beginning today. I call us as a church to set our gaze fully forward, forgetting everything that is behind us, 
and straining forward to what lies ahead. I call us as a church to look to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of God. And I call us as a church to first things first. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by being obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow. In heaven and on earth, under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Call us to a new beginning today. If you're a member of this church family, I invite you in just a moment to participate in a simple, outward, corporate sign of saying yes to God's call on this church. There are pledge cards in your pews. We've made them as simple as possible to fill out. I was thinking this morning of the Geico commercial. He used to say it's so easy even a caveman could do it. I don't mean any offense by that, by the way. I hope these are clear enough that you know what we're asking you to let us know. And as you feel led, if you feel led, in just a moment, I invite you to put those cards in a basket that we're going to put out right, right here in front. When we do this, when we do this as a church, what we are doing is we're saying a louder amen. We're adding another exclamation mark. We're saying that on this Christ the King Sunday, our King of grace and glory rules over our lives, rules over our finances, and he rules over True Anglican Church. He rules over the world. He rules the world with truth and grace and makes the nations prove the glories of his righteousness and wonders of his love. Now, if you're visiting with us this morning, please don't fill out a pledge card. Um, but at least now you know what this church is all about. We're all about Jesus. Now, one last thing. Once you've come forward and put your pledge in the basket, if you feel led to, you're also welcome to kneel at the communion rail, if you'd like, just as a way of submitting yourself, your family, once again, and us as a church, under the kingship of Jesus. Let me pray for us. King Jesus, we thank you, we praise you for your grace that you clothed yourself in humility and in our flesh and that you continue to come to us in our, our brokenness, Jesus. You come to us in our weakness. You come to us around our Thanksgiving tables this week. And King Jesus, we praise you for your glory. You are highly exalted as Lord forever, and we bow our knees before you, King Jesus. We confess that you are Lord, and now we give ourselves to you afresh in this new beginning as a church. 
be honored here, King Jesus. We pray in your name. Amen. Now, just like Paul did, as the Spirit leads, let's respond to him in worship as Zach and the team leads. <laughs>